Inside the Post-Dispatch. Hi, Liz. Hey, Beth. How are you doing? I'm doing well. To let our listeners know if we sound a little bit different, um, I'm in the office. I am at home uh, recovering from something, but fortunately not COVID, or at least it seems that it's not COVID. And we can all breathe a sigh of relief. I'm very glad that it's not not COVID. Um, it's also been a bit of a week. We obviously had a holiday on Monday and um, we've had some retirements recently. The newsroom is very busy, obviously, and you can read all of our fabulous work uh, in on the paper or at, on the paper. Wow. In the paper or online. There we go. Um, on paper. I mean, you know. Sure, it is printed on paper, but that's not what I meant to say. <laughs> is that a preposition, Liz? On or in? I yeah, sure. <laughs> Revealing too much here. Um, but no, as Beth said, it's it's a short week. Uh, even though in journalism we rarely have those. So that puts extra pressure on the newsroom. And we had hoped today to chat with a reporter about the state senate race in Missouri, but that news is kind of coming in like a faucet uh, that can't be turned off. And so that that needs to be where that team is prioritizing work. Uh, but we do hope in the next few weeks to have a reporter on to chat with us about the candidates and the key issues in that uh, race with the primary coming up on August 2nd. Until then, listeners are stuck with Liz and me, and we are going to talk a little bit more about our jobs. We've been hosting the podcast now since February. And I hope I don't see like the the listen analytics suddenly drop off at this point. (laughs) But Liz and I, as you may know, both handle digital content for the newspaper. Um, uh, The job titles are more or less the same, but what we actually do day to day is is pretty different. Um, We a lot of those jobs overlap and. but we also kind of focus on different areas. So Liz, why don't you explain a little bit about what you do kind of a day-to-day? Yeah, no, uh, happy to. I will add that I joined the post last summer. So I think it was end of July, very early August. So I'm coming up on a year soon. uh, And kind of the joy of, I think, any journalism job, but certainly working in digital is that every day you can go into it with a checklist and hopefully you get through that checklist, but every day is going to be different because the news is different which means the demands of our jobs are very different. Uh, So on my normal checklist, I'll have scheduling out social, making sure that, uh, and again, working in concert with Beth and with another teammate of ours, Alex, that our Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram are loaded up with great content. Um, I work a slightly later shift. So thankfully we have a good balance on our team. Beth's a little bit earlier. uh, And so we always have that coverage on social. Um, I've concentrated a lot of effort in recent months on Instagram. We currently have an Instagram fellow that Beth and I both manage and uh, her name is Ashley. She's doing wonderful work and to have someone that singularly is focused on Instagram has been one, such a breath of fresh air (laughs) instead of juggling the needs of, you know, different platforms, which have different audiences and obviously different engagement strategies, uh, to have someone who's just laser focused and super passionate about that platform, I think personally has really improved it, improved our engagement, our numbers. Um, so super happy to have Ashley. And I, and a lot of the other stuff that I'm doing throughout the day is honestly stuff that touches both Beth and Alex's desks as well. So, uh, sending our newsletters, we have a handful that we send daily, including sports, politics, editorial or opinion section content, Mm -hmm. um, 
trending alerts, which hopefully you're all super thrilled to get in your inbox. Uh, and those can, those can range from, you know, entertainment news, things that are happening in the local arts and music community to, uh, breaking news about politics, local government, whatever it is. Um, and, and those kind of exist. We try to send about one an hour, but you know, they obviously exist on a schedule that is dictated by the news. Um, otherwise it's a lot of surfing our site. Wow. I sound a hundred years old. Surfing the web. Surfing the inner uh, tubes. <laughs> yeah. And just for, you know, basic yeah, headline adjustments to make things a little bit more attention getting, um, you know, doing quick reads, sometimes find typos if you can be of help and pop in and make a quick change, um, that kind of stuff. So making sure everything looks and is, is working correctly on our site is kind of, I would say the, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean part of this job. <laughs> uh, you did not just yeah, say that. I mean, I've... my first job was at a blockbuster. So that just dates me entirely. Uh, and I had a manager who would always say that in the most literal sense. Like if we had time to lean on the counter, we had time to clean. Uh, so it's always stuck with me. And I think in any journalism job, you'll find that you never have time to lean, but uh, if you do, there's always something you could be focused on, you know? Uh, so it's that. It's also working closely with editors to do things like headline brainstorming, which we prefer to do, obviously, at the front of the process. But again, we work in news. Sometimes the the uh, immediacy is to get something live and then to retroactively work on that headline. Um, and But to have conversations with editors about what's coming so that we know also planning, uh, again, for social, for those trending alerts. Um, and that we're just in constant conversation uh, to make sure that everything is being presented as best as it can be digitally. Yeah, definitely. And to bounce off part of what Liz was saying when I was laughing at her about, about leaning and cleaning, I used to work in retail. I worked at a toy store at Union Station, but no one ever said to me, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean, which I, I also find that phrase just kind of inherently hilarious like it rhymes and it's super like managerial it's so so condescending like you're just you know you don't have any autonomy or um you know ability to see what you need to do independently in your role ahead of the next thing yes which Uh, is which is also a little bit ironic because in our jobs we actually do have um not I wouldn't say 100% autonomy but in terms of reading the headlines deciding which stories need to be um recirculated, you know, we post pretty constantly to Twitter and Facebook. It's just the demand of those platforms, particularly where if, especially on Twitter, you know, you post to Twitter and five minutes later, that audience that's looking at their Twitter feeds is completely different. So people sometimes will call us out on Twitter and be like, "Mm, you shared that headline like four times. And I always want to reply, well, of course we did. That's frankly, best practice. Like you don't tweet a headline just once. You have to tweet it several times uh, because that audience changes so quickly. And that's a huge part of what Liz and I do every single day is trying to understand the differences between those social media platforms, Facebook versus Instagram versus Twitter. And we're not even going to get into TikTok here. That could be a whole nother podcast. But those platforms are so different and the audiences are so different. The algorithms themselves can be so different. So, um, you know, that's one thing that we really try to do quite a bit. And it, it is a lot of time. We have some of those posts are automated 
uh, and they pull from specific parts of the article in order to create the social media post. And others are, you know, I call it handwritten, basically, like Liz and I will take a look at the article and say, what's the best thing to highlight here for this particular platform? Um, and another thing that, that I know both of us do a lot is take a look at what people are saying back to us on those platforms. Um, did we make a typo. I mean, something as simple as a typo, people will be quick to call that out. Um, or have we put a, an image on, on a story that may not accurately reflect what the story is about? Um, and we have readers who have pointed out, hey, this image might not be the best one for this. Um, and that's one of the th thing, important things that we do, where we take a look at what that feedback is try to evaluate it, talk to editors about it, and make the changes that might be necessary. And sometimes we decide they're, you know, no, this is this is accurate and adequate for the story. And other times we take a look at it, we're like, you know, they there's there's a point to be made here. We need to take a look at that. And that's um, responding to that criticism can sometimes be difficult. Um, sometimes it's not very polite, but other times people really just want to feel heard. And when they see that we've made a change, they, they thank us for that. In general, like thank the paper, not necessarily, oh, thank you so much, Beth. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that kind of engagement and openness um, and honestly, transparency into how work gets done. Again, we're working, you know, very fast and increasingly, not just at the post, but in this environment in journalism with fewer resources and fewer people. And so, you know, remembering that there are real people who live in your community on the other side of that Twitter account who are going to make mistakes uh, or reporters, same, you know, they're humans. So being able to address that in what I would prefer to be, to your point, Beth, a constructive way uh, and a kind way. Uh, is important and having someone who can synthesize that information and make those changes, you know, that's so much of our role is even if the feedback is not kind, uh, but it is accurate, being able to move forward with it and thank someone for it. And, you know, it's hard to thank someone when they're cursing at you, but if they're right, they're right. Yeah. Or at least if they're partially right. Uh, so that that's definitely a big piece, knowing how to kind of wade through that noise and still be able to be in conversation with our readers. And it's something that as we've, as Liz and I have done the podcast and talked to reporters and editors, um, you know, I know that reporters read their emails and respond to people, but it has been really, really great for me to hear that from the reporter and hear about how they approach that. Because um, I think that that's something a lot of readers may not know. Like, it's easy to forget that there are are actual human beings behind those headlines. And you can ask those people questions and you can question what those people have written. And I think generally speaking, if you do that in a polite way, in a, a place from honest curiosity and not necessarily a place of you're so biased type of accusation, you will get a good answer from our reporters. And you may not agree with that answer, but you'll see a response. And I see a lot of subscribers who, you know, they, they call our newsroom, they ask questions in emails, they ask questions on Twitter. And again, they just, they want to be heard more than almost anything else. And that's why, like, we run letters to the editor. We have comments on our website. There are so many ways to give us as reporters feedback. And I would really love to hear our, our listeners give feedback and, and know that they can do that very easily. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's such a big piece of the role. And you talked earlier about Twitter and the need to recirculate content. Um, kind of a, a, a good problem to have, I've found, is we generate a, a good amount, like a lot of content in a day. <laughs> and so if we're recirculating something that is, you know, twofold, like you said earlier, Beth, it's because we want to make sure that it's finding audiences at whatever point in the day they're you know, on Twitter but it's also what is going to pull someone in about a certain story isn't going to necessarily pull someone else in, right? So uh, to your point, doing re- thorough reads of these stories and finding a new way in, you know, not that we could uh, reschedule <laughs> you know, on our social scheduling platform, the same language, uh, but we wouldn't if we could, because it's important to, again, pick out, um, you know, a quote that summarizes something well or something else in the story that is just more likely maybe to grab a different audience member. And it always fascinates me uh, in looking back in a, in a given day, our top stories, if they've been tweeted four or five times, which of those was most successful? Uh, because it's usually not the one that you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it is, and that's a good feeling, but <laughs> it's always really fun to take a look at those analytics and be like, yeah, I wrote that Facebook post and look at how many clicks it bought. And then of course there's a flip side of that coin where you're like, oh, I wrote that Facebook post and look how many clicks it got. <laughs> I spent way too much time on something that no one cared about. Um, but again, I mean, I think that is part of the process. I hate that I just used that phrase, but it is right. Because you learn from those things. Uh, hopefully you improve the work from those things, uh, do things differently. Um, and I think a big piece of at least the way I approach this role is also being someone who consumes a lot of digital media and like, you know, there's a story recently that was heavily circulated on Twitter that journalism exists in a bit of a vacuum on Twitter. I can see that from my own feed who I follow. Um, but you know, how are they positioning content compared to how we're positioning content, uh, you can learn a lot uh, and uh, conversely, maybe what not to do uh, in the people that you follow, the, I should say, the publications that you follow. Yeah, it, it's fascinating how, you know, I, I look at the New York Times Facebook feed or the posts that show up on my Facebook feed and I see what they're doing. And I, I think, you know, wow, that that really worked for them. Would that work for us? You know, that that audience is so different. Um, between the New York Times and the, the Post-Dispatch, not just in size. There's a lot of other differences there as well. Um, and then I, I see what other other places are doing. I'm not going to name names or even platforms, but, and I'm like, mm, there's no way that I would do that. <laughs> it's important because to your point, you know, we are not, uh, readers don't come to us as a national news outlet. We are a local news outlet. So yes, the, there will always be a difference in how we're going to approach uh, promoting content because of that. Um, but I think the interesting thing is on social, not so much the content of how something is, uh, promoted, but the positioning, if that makes sense. So it's like the engagement approach of a tweet, which this is really in the weeds, right? Like I'm sure listeners, if there's even one person still listening or like, I don't care. Um, but I'm still going to, still going to finish the thought. Keep going. Uh, you know, could this be applied to our local content? Could this construct, could this, you know, engagement question to an audience work for our content? Yeah. And I think that's a great, you know, there are types of social media that are much more engagement focused. I would say Instagram is one of those, you know, there are other types of social media that are much more click focused and 
what we're looking for on, on certain types of social media platforms are the clicks back to our website. And on other types of social media platforms, we want to see that conversation. It's not just clicks back to our website. Um, it, it does, I've, I've seen people, and this was frankly probably years ago, talk about, well, why should I put my content on Facebook? That only benefits Facebook. But Facebook is one of the biggest drivers of social media content to any news platform. Um, so it, it is very important to, to be where the audience is. And so if we don't post to Facebook, but our audience is still on Facebook, there's no opportunity for them to see what our work is and to click through on the work that they want to read. Yeah. So I just, that was just my little, you know, soapbox platform. That's a great point because I don't know that users uh, necessarily engage when they don't do this kind of work, right? Like you, you might say, oh, well, I'm constantly engaging on Facebook, you know, and in comments, but it is different to your point. What is the strategy for the publication uh, with the different platforms? Um, and I wanted to ask you, Beth, you've yeah. been doing this work with the post uh, in, in various forms, uh, you know, uh, since 2014. So yeah. I would love to hear from you how your, you know, your path has changed at the post and how you've seen this kind of rise in digital media change. Well, Liz, you talked a couple of episodes ago about how, you know, you grew up in St. Louis and working at the Post was one of your dreams. I was exactly the same way. I, for me, um, from the beginning of my career, I wanted to to work with the Post-Dispatch and work at the Post-Dispatch. And so um, being able to join the Post-Dispatch in May 2014 was huge moment for me. And then just a few months later, um, helping with the Michael Brown coverage uh, was incredible work. And the, the changes on social media platforms really were, are massive. Uh, we were not automating a lot of posts at the time. We were automating some posts. Um, reporters who were out at the scene couldn't post long video. Like they were using Vine, which I I think it was 30 seconds. I can't yeah. remember exactly how long. I mean, I'm I, fine. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't know that all of our listeners even remember Vine. If you're under 30, you probably don't remember Vine, but it was a, you know, beautiful comment that went out too soon. <laughs> um, but now you can just post videos directly to Twitter. Like in Twitter, it's like, sure, post up to, you know, minutes long video is fine. Um, Instagram was big, but again, it was not video at that point. Um, but I, so the changes have been really big. Um, and just seeing, um, you know, the improvements in the tools that we use for social media and, but also the changes that the social media platforms themselves have made. Um, there's a lot of talk about Facebook and how important, news links are in the algorithm on Facebook in the echo chamber that Facebook may have created among some audiences. And we, Liz and I both have to keep up with that type of conversation because it impacts how many clicks we get. It impacts how we approach that platform. Um, so yeah, being in this role means that I have to keep up, up on the news, but I also have to keep up on changes to the social media platforms. So I don't know that I can say like point to one thing and be like, well, this is the biggest change. There have been a lot of changes while I've been at the post, but I'm thrilled to still be here <laughs> and, and doing the work that I'm doing. Um, because in this position, we get to talk to basically every single reporter in the newsroom about the work that they do. We get to read that work and then help help that work reach 
the readers uh, in the best way. And sometimes that conversation can be trickier um, trying to talk about, I know that you really worked on this headline, but it doesn't quite work for what we need, need it to do. So let's, let's look at other ways that we can cast this headline so that it, it reflects the rest of this really good article in the way that we need it to. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And it kind of touches on something that we talked about earlier, right, which is the presentation of the site and kind of keeping in front of mind always while we're balancing other stuff that that is really, I think, the core of our job, right? Like more than social media, which is promoting that work, it has to start from a place of strength on the site. Uh, And as our industry more and more transitions to digital focused models uh, as print publications, again, nationwide, um, are making that shift away from print, which has forever been the driver in this industry. Uh, It makes our roles that much more critical because we need to make sure that we're not just making changes, but to your point, Beth, we are in conversation with reporters and editors about why those changes matter uh, so that when content goes up on our site, it's not only has a great headline, you know, obviously editors are doing their job on the back end with editing, but that we're making sure that there is every multimedia asset, every video gallery, embedded tweet, whatever it is. Uh, and that as soon as that goes live, that it's looking as it should. Uh, yeah. And that I think is only going to become a more critical role as again, we become less reliant breaks my heart a little bit to say it, uh, on the print products. And there's more emphasis and investment put into the digital product. One of the things that a lot of people will email me about is our website in general. And I just want to clarify, Liz and I do a lot of work on presentation, and that's through our content management system. But what we can't control are, gosh, I mean, I could list 100 things. But the, to my point, we can't, <laughs> we can't control what ads show up on there. We we don't control exactly where they come in on the article. We, um, you know, we can send feedback about certain ads or certain ad positions, but frankly, those are what pay our salaries. So if the response is, well, that's, that's where it's going to stay, I'm not going to argue too much against that. Um, and I, I see a lot of chatter sometimes on, on Reddit and other places about our website. And I I know that there are, you know, it's, it might be slow to load. There are other issues and we will pass along that feedback for sure. But like, I can't flip the switch and be like, ta-da, it's better. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, like everything is kind of in a constant state of evolving. Uh, I remember the like 2000, 2001 STL today, uh, homepage. I have like a, a faint memory, um, On September 11th, I remember I was taking screenshots of like CNN and maybe somewhere I have the STL Today one too. But at one point, CNN was literally like a picture and four links. And that was it on that page. I'm sorry, but back to your point. (laughs) No, that doesn't surprise me at all. I was going to say I would have been in like middle school when I think STL Today launched. And I have always been like a news nerd and was on my high school paper and uh, my parents were post subscribers. So it was like a big deal when the post had a website, um, or at least one that was being updated, you know, regularly. And, uh, to think about how, where we've come in my lifetime kind of overwhelms me. I can't imagine where we'll be hopefully, uh, you know, in the next 30 years, but it is, it's really an interesting time to be in this industry because in our roles, on our team, you do have the chance to help kind of 
shape that evolution? I mean, a little bit, I don't want to overstate my role, but (laughs) (laughs) no, that's really, that's really accurate. And as somebody who, you know, I still remember the very first time I got on the internet and I, I could still do like that old modem login noise, which I'm not going to imitate on the call uh, on the podcast, but to see where like the internet has taken society just in my life lifetime and where could that go just in the next five years, much less um, the next 20 years or so. It's one of those things where like people like to talk about, well, the internet has ruined society. And it's like, has it, has it, or has it just enhanced certain parts of the society that, you know, you didn't have to pay attention to before? Or on the other hand, the internet has made everybody a publisher in some way. So you, there are so many stories out there that you can see and hear and listen to um, and understand a part of society that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. Um, and that's one reason why, like back in the early days of Twitter, what I really liked about it was I felt like it was these little windows into other worlds that I would never be able to see into. And it still is that way in some ways, um, but it just the way people have used Twitter has changed so much. It feels like a little bit more now people are making a lot more arguments about it and not so much, here's what I've done today. The classic you're going to tweet what you eat for lunch type of confusion about what Twitter is. Yeah. I remember I was in college, I think when Instagram launched, maybe I, I may, I might've been a couple of years out of college. I don't remember, but Instagram was like this breath of fresh air because even when it launched, it felt like a little bit to me that Twitter had become, you know, so news focused. And to your point, I think there was a lot, it was a a very different space then. Uh, But Instagram was just this like singular focused, you upload a photo, you can add a caption, you don't have to add a caption. And it's this, you know, kind of scrapbook of your day-to-day life uh, that you can share with your friends and family. And it really didn't have the role that it does. It didn't play the role that it does now with brands and publications and influencers. Oh, uh, influencers. <laughs> yeah. That's a that, whole nother podcast. <laughs> that is a whole nother podcast. And one that I really can't speak on because fortunately I've never been an influencer. Um, but uh, it was so much of a simpler platform. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess to your point, that's kind of how they all start, right? Like I remember needing a college email address for Facebook. <laughs> that's how old I am. Uh, and being so like being more excited to have my college email for Facebook than I was about starting college. Cause like, when am I going to get that email for Facebook? Um, so they all kind of have evolved from this place of like being very personal and not being where you go for news or uh, to argue with your uncle or great aunt about politics to that. Um, but they are more than that too, uh, yeah. but they are much more complicated, complicated and complex uh, and I'm sure that that is the trajectory probably of, we'll see, I guess, in the next few years, TikTok, um, to me, still feels like a space that is kind of living in that early Instagram uh, feeling or vibe. But if it's to follow tra- the trajectory of other platforms, I'm sure that that will change. Yeah, it is fascinating how Facebook went from a very tight college-oriented audience to suddenly being open to anybody, which is when I was able to join. Back when I was in college, we were still just on Napster. And then going on to being like for older people, (laughs) 
not that Liz and I are older people, maybe I am, but um, being like where you, I feel old. So yes, but but being where you have your, your aunt and uncle on and they're, they're posting and you're having political arguments with them instead of being where all the cool kids are. um, I feel like Facebook has this perception that they aged pretty quickly once they opened up the platform. Yeah. And I think it just also, it depends on what your personal usage is, right? Like I I know plenty of folks my age and younger who are super active on Facebook and they get a ton of engagement from there. I don't even want to call it an audience. It's like their friends and family, but it'll be threads with, you know, hundred, 200 comments. And that's just, that speaks to personal preference. Uh, I do. I agree. Obviously each platform kind of has its demographics, but Um, It kind of brings us back to that earlier conversation about our roles being to, at least with our own platforms, right? Like we can, I don't want to speak for other um, accounts, other publications, but what we see with demographics on our uh, platforms or our accounts on those platforms, I should say, uh, does determine a little bit of how we position content or how we might choose to promote or post some sort of engagement, like leading question. I wouldn't necessarily post that on Twitter, but if I think it's going to play well with our Facebook audience and draw in a lot of comments and debate, we'll call it, uh, then we would post that there. And then understanding the demographic on Instagram too, and eventually hopefully TikTok, because that's another piece of our role, just as you know, the paper and publishing in general, media in general is in a state of transition from print to digital being able to find new audiences and grow them through social is really key. Hopefully, you know, attracting younger people to seek out their local newspaper for a hem local news is really, really key. You know, we have our loyal, dedicated subscriber base um, with print, but we have so much opportunity to grow digital subscriptions through reaching younger people who frankly care. They do care about political issues. They care about local and state government and politics and key issues that impact their lives day to day. Uh, And our newsroom covers all of that. So it's like, how do we in our jobs make sure that we're finding them and sharing that news with them? Yes, that is one of the things that I'm really excited for the Instagram fellow that you mentioned earlier is bringing in, um, hopefully someone who who understands that audience in a different way than you and I do and says, this will really resonate. Um, but speaking of the website and news and other items, I think both of us need to have to log off so we can schedule those tweets and tweak those headlines and the rest of those things. So once again, to our listeners, thank you so much. Um, share the podcast if you don't mind and uh, buy a subscription for your favorite teenager. Yeah. And please, uh, obviously, this is just Beth and I. So reach out with your questions, uh, your feedback. Uh, I would I would ask that it's constructive, but I'm smart enough to know that it may not be. Uh, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you to everyone. Have a great day and week.